Hello, and welcome to episode 206 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. A warm welcome to Anthony M., Angela E., and Karen H. to The Modern Manager community. You can learn more about membership at themodernmanager.com slash join. So head on over and check it out. See if it's a good fit for you. Today's guest is Yuri Elkame. Yuri is a former pro athlete, leading health expert, New York Times bestselling author, and the founder of Healthpreneur, where he helps health entrepreneurs, coaches, and practitioners start and scale online practices that create more income and freedom and better results for their clients. Yuri and I talk about creating the parameters for people to take on additional responsibility and autonomy while meeting the standards and expectations that you have set for them. We talk about creating principles, the importance of effective onboarding, and finding the balance between micromanaging and being totally hands-off. Just a quick heads up that there is one part where there is some bad language, and so you might not want young or sensitive ears to be listening. So if you've got others around and are worried about some bad language, maybe put on some headphones or hold off on this episode for another time. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Yuri. I am super excited for this conversation because delegation is one of those things that is just so essential for every manager. Yeah, totally. I'm excited to, to be here. Thank you for having me. Maybe it's, I love geeking out in this stuff, so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So to start us off, why don't you explain how do you think about this concept of delegation and getting things out of your head and into someone else? Yeah, I think regardless of the business you're in, regardless of the uh, the type of work you do, I think there's the way I look at this is all of us are an algorithm that we just don't know yet. So what I mean by that is if we look at the algorithm of any social media platform, those algorithms initially were decision-making processes, right? So how do we decide it? You know, this post gets shown to this people, uh, this person, or these types of people, and it's essentially a very, very evolved if-then type of decision-making tree. And if that's the most advanced version, obviously, you know, that's, that's pretty advanced. If we take that all the way back to version 1.0, where that starts is really asking ourselves the question, which is how do I make decisions? How do I do what I do? And I don't think a lot of us take the time to think about that because we're so busy doing the stuff. And I think one of the most valuable things that we can do as contributors to a team or managers of a team is is have time where we we need to be player coaches, right? So there's times where we have to do the work. There's times where we're coaching other people. But but I do think there needs to be time where we sit back and just almost like an out-of-body experience looking at how we do what we do. So as an example... You know, we deal with a lot of health professionals and service providers in the space. And, you know, a lot of them think that they're the special snowflake and they only can do what they do. And I said, well, that may or may not be true, but it's a nice story to hang on to if you want to be chained to your job forever. But I said, well, what if you were on vacation for a week and someone else were to do what you're doing? Exactly how could you help them do the very thing that you do with your clients every day? Like if a client comes in, what's the first question you ask them? Or when this happens, what do you do? And again, I just 
we all we all can do this. It's really about extracting our own process, documenting it, and then I think stress testing it. So looking at okay, I've, I've documented kind of how I do this or how I make this decision, and let me put this to the test now. If I were to follow my own uh, SOP, standard operating procedure, if you were, or my own playbook of how I do this, does this repeat itself? And I think it's one of the most freeing things that we can do because number one, it brings a tremendous amount of transparency to our work. And number two, it gives us the opportunity, depending on our role, to possibly delegate and elevate. Because if you can get to a point where you no longer have to do what you're doing and someone else can, they might say, well, how do I do this? We're like, well, here's exactly how I do it. There you go, plug and play. And then obviously you want to support them, coach them through that. But that's how I think of this at a high level. It's just really like stepping back and evaluating how we make a decision and trying to do our very best to document that so that we can replicate it and so can someone else. Does that make sense? It does. And I was actually having this conversation with a client today because he's going on vacation and he's like, I want to give my team, like I want to empower them to make decisions without me. But I also don't want terrible things to happen if they don't run things up the chain that really need an extra set of eyes. And like, how do I do that? And I think what you're talking about is exactly this approach of like, well, what is your thought process? What are the factors you consider? And if you can document some of those, and if you can differentiate between different kinds of decisions, which ones are low risk and which ones are are high risk, then you can kind of hand things over to someone else with a lot more confidence. Yep. hundred percent. It's really, I mean, it's really like you know, I, mean, I think a lot of businesses know about, you know, standard operating procedures and documenting systems and stuff. And we're kind of doing that, but for us as individuals, you know, I, I was just watching the movie, The Founder last week with my son for the second time. And I think it's one of the most amazing movies for any business owner or even manager to be watching because the, the, the beautiful system that they had built within that kitchen at the first McDonald's is, is just, it is such a beautiful illustration of what's possible when you can do this. Right? It's just like, how do we make a hamburger? All right, we put exactly three pickles on, two squirts of mustard, dot, dot, dot. And it's it's like, that's how McDonald's, McDonald's would not be what McDonald's is now without that type of system, right? You can't have one McDonald's across the world putting five pickles on and you know somewhere else in the world it's two. Like there has to be a standardization. There has to be quality control, but it all starts by documenting what that process is. And, and we can do that as a business. We can also do that as individuals. So how do you figure out what are the right areas for you to be documenting in this way? Because it seems like there are some ways of working that probably make a lot of sense and some that are like, I would never figure out how to even start documenting or it just doesn't make sense because I don't need to be that prescriptive to my team. Like I I need to find the right balance between providing guidance and being a micromanager. Yeah, 100%. I think, I mean, first and foremost, I think we should all start with tasks that are below our pay grade. So, you know, if if we're starting off doing a lot of stuff, uh, again, I'm speaking from, from my experience as an entrepreneur and business owner, you kind of wear all the hats, but some of those hats are much more valuable than others. So for instance, having a selling conversation with a prospective client is most likely the highest value activity for most people to do in that role. And you know, worrying about what to post on Instagram is probably the least valuable thing. So it's about saying, okay, well, if I'm going to do this or not do this, like if I'm taking 10, 15, $20 an hour tasks that I'm doing on a routinely basis, let me document how I do those. If I'm uploading a video and, you know, there's a specific type of description we use, 
well, let me just let me document that because that's something someone else could do. It's a, a repeatable procedure or a repeatable process, right? And really, I think anything we're doing more than once should be documented at some level, even creation. I, I've made it like part of my journey has really been has been about figuring out how do we how do we extract the creative process so that it's not just like this hit of inspiration and like you're the only person who can do it, but how how can we systemize that in some way, shape, or form? And I think that's a very very high level where you know at some point you can outsource what your your genius is to some degree is like that ideation. But I think at a very, very, very basic level, it's looking at the things that are the lower value activities in terms of dollars per hour per hour and getting those off your plate to the best of your ability. Now, again, depends on the role you're in. You know, if you have to do that stuff, you have to do that stuff. But I think as a manager, you know, I think one of the most important things that we can be doing is always, you know, value what's the best use of our time. I think, you know, as a manager, one of the best uses of your time is coaching your team spending more time giving feedback, coaching, support, you know, stuff outside of that, you know, if it's repeatable, get someone else to do it if you can. I think, you know, if you can have a, an assistant, VA, EA, you know, whatever, get them doing a, a lot more stuff that you don't need to be doing so that you can spend more of your time doing the high leverage, high value activities. So that's, that's where I would start in terms of um, kind of documenting those things. So that you can always, again, I, I just use this kind of, um, this frame of elevate and delegate. So it's like you did something last year that ideally you can kind of move out of. All right, cool. So we're elevating out of that. We're delegating that to someone else. But I do think there's obviously a danger of delegation as well, which we can touch on if you want to. You know, I think there's obviously issues with quality control and coaching and making sure people are doing things the proper way. Um, so there is that element of micromanaging that you talked about. But I think what, I'll just, you know, real quick, one of the mistakes that I made, I've made in my, in my time as, as a business owner, we've employed, you know, we've got a team of uh, close to 30 people that are all remote. And obviously there's, you know, companies with hundreds and thousands of people, which are obviously much bigger. But I think one of the dangers that we have fallen into or that I have fallen into is I don't want to do this thing anymore. Therefore, I'm never going to touch it. So I'm going to give it to someone else and I'm never going to put eyes on it ever again. And Initially, that was like, it was almost like, I, I don't even want to touch this, get it away from me. You take it. I never want to hear about it again. Initially, that's how it was. And then it was, okay, if you're a little bit more junior, I'm going to show you exactly what to do. And I'm going to provide some coaching until you're up to speed and getting things done properly. And then, you know, I can kind of step out of that a little bit more and you have the reins to making that process over and over again, you know, to the standards that we want. But one of the realizations I had recently was I didn't take that approach with relatively high level individuals. So we had um, an agency that was running our ads for a while. And these guys were, you know, one of the best in the industry. So when they came on board or when we, you know, decided to work with them, we gave them all the onboarding stuff in terms of what they needed from us. And then we just said, cool, here are our KPIs, just make them happen. And we had two of the worst months in our business. And it was really frustrating. And when I really look back on it, I was like, man, I essentially delegated, you know, arguably for our business, one of the most important pieces of our, of our, of our marketing engine. And there was zero oversight. And the, reala the realization that I had is that for me, at least, and for our business is anyone that we bring onto our team needs to be directed and micromanaged every single day for the, at least the first one to two weeks. I don't care how junior or senior they are, because you have to align people in terms of, you know, obviously core values, the way you work. But if you can nip things in the butt right away, they don't 
they, they don't get out of control over time. It's like an airplane that corrects for, uh, for the crosswind. If it does, like if you're flying from New York to LA, there's crosswind usually. So airplanes have to correct for that. If they don't, they would end up in Mexico city. So what I'm saying is like, if you can correct for the crosswinds really early on in the relationship, you're much more likely to have someone over time who understands, all right, this is how things are done. This is what I'm expected to do. This is good. This is not. And, and that's the mistake that I've made delegating is just kind of delegating something and just checking in once in a while. And you get to that point over time, but there needs to be a process of, you know, I don't even want to use the word micromanaging, but maybe it's directing, giving people specific, here's how we're going to do things. And then over time, you start to coach them a bit more. And then you kind of step back a little bit more and you're like, hey, I'm here when you need support. And then you really just almost step out of it altogether as they take full ownership and expertise over that role or that specific area. Um, but again, it's an evolution. I don't think it's like, here's the thing, do it. I never talk to you again. So I just think delegation has to, like, even as we're documenting all this stuff that we do and, and kind of handing it off to people, needs to be done in a really intentional way. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think of it as kind of this early alignment phase, right? So whether it's a new employee or it's a new responsibility that you're handing off, that you have to continually be realigning in those early phases because small misses in direction early can make huge impact later on. And then as you get farther along into the work, there's a lot less handholding, a lot less oversight that's typically needed because you had that early alignment time. Yeah. And, and like, as an example, like I played professional soccer in my early twenties. And when I was in Europe, one of the things I noticed was professional teams would be recruiting kids when they were five, six, seven years old. And the reason they did that is because they don't want to bring kids or teenagers onto the team at 18, 19, 20, and now have to undo a decade of bad habits. So they want to cultivate them right from the get go to be like, this is our system. This is how we play. This is how we build our skills so that they have much more confidence that these kids will develop into the type of player that they want to build as opposed to having to undo all these, you know, bad habits and tendencies and mistakes. So how do you think about this in context of giving people autonomy and allowing people to, you know, do things their own way? And like, do you distinguish between things that like have to be done a certain way and things that are maybe well, this is how I've done them, but you can do them however you want, as long as yeah. the outcome is the same. Yeah, I think of it as a bowling with my kids. So when you've got little kids, you go to the bowling alley and most bowling alleys will have the, these bumpers in the gutters, right? So the kids you know, don't have shattered confidence when the ball goes in the gutter every time. So it's almost like there's guardrails. And I think in business, guardrails are principles. So principles are different than core values. Principles are... Again, decision-making criteria or ways we do things in the business and for various for various different things, right? So we, as an example, we have our health printer as a brand principles. We have principles for our emails. So like email marketing principles, we have content marketing principles, we have coaching principles, we have selling principles. And these act as guardrails so that our, our team knows where they can draw within the lines within a good degree of flexibility to say, all right, I'm not a robot. I'm not going to follow, like, I'm not going to do exactly what Yuri says because, you know, like we have to give people autonomy because if we are hiring people, there is an expectation that they should be good at their job. So we're not just looking for, you know, drones and clones and robots. We're looking for people who can think 
outside the box creatively, independently. However, there still needs to be guardrails because if you don't have those guardrails or those principles, that's when, I, I, again, in our experience, you know, things can go off the deep end and people are doing their own thing. And it's like, well, like what's happening here? So that's, I, I think when, when you have someone coming into a role, I do think principles are very helpful because as long as they are top of mind and visible, like, so people can be reminded of them, it gives someone a good amount of freedom to do what it is they do without feeling super micromanaged. We have, um, we had a copywriter on our team who is uh, writing our emails and one email was sent out and I'm like, so instead of the from name being my name, it was like something else, like, uh, something catchy, like it was like mafia boss or something like that, just to kind of grab people's attention. I can't stand that stuff. And when I saw that, I sent our copywriter, our email marketing principles document. And I said, Hey, please review this because in that document, one of the principles was we do not do bait and switch. As an example, all the emails are sent out with my name, not coach Y, coach Y E mafia boss, et cetera. So, all right, cool. Like that's a parameter. That's, that's a guardrail. Like do what you got to do with your skill set to achieve the outcomes you want to achieve. But like, we can't just do whatever we want because otherwise, you know, our brand, our reputation is on the line. So I do think principles are really important to allow people to have the freedom without feeling micromanaged. But again, they have to be good at what they do in order to have that freedom to explore and to excel in that role. Does that make sense? It does. And I want to like dive into the how-tos here because I I think this concept of principles is really, really useful, right? That if you give people your core values as, you know, and so they understand kind of the the big picture values of the organization, and then you give them principles that they need to work within, and then you give them clear goals or objectives that they're trying to accomplish, you've actually set up a really strong structure for people to have that autonomy with your kind of, you know, nice oversight, right? You're not, again, you're not setting them up and letting them run free, but you're also not, you know, hovering over them and double checking every word they type. So I want to know a little bit more about how you go about creating those principles and, you know, what's the process for sitting down and articulating out what's a principle versus what, what else you might write? Like, what's the level of detail you get into or kind of how do you structure them in a way that makes sense? Yeah, I think it's probably easiest if you go from, um, again, depends on the nature of the business, but I think, you know, within the department that you're working within, there, there might be different aspects of the job. So for instance, in our business, we have, you know, there's marketing, there's sales, there's delivery or coaching. So if we look at those three areas, again, we can further break down marketing into email marketing for us, content marketing, paid advertising. So we, I mean, for us, it's kind of granular. And I, I mean, it can be seen as overboard, but I think I would rather have more of these in place than less of them. And, and the way that I come up with principles is really, uh, it's really simple. It's like, what pisses me off in this situation, right? What bothered me about what just happened? Where this person did this, why does that bother me? And how do I not let that happen again? So a couple examples. I have very, very little tolerance for mediocrity in terms of like people just doing the bare minimum. And so we have a principle, which is don't half-ass it. So whether you're putting together a report, putting together a listing on uh, like a, a new YouTube video with a description, or you know, you're coaching one of our clients, like do the best you can possibly do, right? And, and I think this is part of the exploration of 
again, depends on the nature of the role. Like as, as, as the CEO of a business, like it's, it's in some way, shape or form a reflection of you and how you see the world. If I'm having my kids, you know, do the dishes, don't half-ass it, like do a good job because otherwise you have to do it again. So that's a principle that we want. Our, so this would be kind of like an overarching principle with respect to quality of work for our team. Um, another one is triple check everything before release. So how did this come up? Well, this came up because I have a tendency to make spelling mistakes because I'm high quick start, low detail orientation when I don't think it's mission critical. And there's been emails that, for instance, have been sent out where there's a word missing in the subject line. And I thought, well, that's probably not the best representation of our brand or whatever. And I certainly don't want other people to make that mistake. So we just put a principle in place, which I have to adhere to as well, which is, all right, cool. Before you send out this email, before you publish this ad, just triple check it, like not double, triple check it just to make sure there's no spelling mistakes and the right link is involved, et cetera. So those are, I mean, a couple examples. On the coaching side, you know, I think what's interesting is that I, I do believe that business is philosophy. Every business has the opportunity to create their own philosophy. I was watching a documentary on Netflix yesterday about Abercrombie and Fitch. So they have a very clear philosophy about, you know, the type of person that worked in their stores, which was essentially like, they have to look like this, not like that. And that's in some way, shape or form a principle. And so I think within a business, it's always very interesting to say, okay, well, what is the type of experience that we want to create here for our customers or clients? So as an example, one of our principles with respect to how we work with our clients is teach them how to fish. So we know that most humans would rather have stuff done for them but I have a core belief that if we can empower people to do the stuff themselves, we do a much better job at serving them. So for us, it's a balance in terms of how we coach our clients of there's some stuff that we do for them, but at the same time, we're big believers in helping them build skills that they'll have for life. So that's an example of like teach them uh, how to fish, which might be different from an agency, for instance, which is like, we're gonna give them the fish. We'll just do everything for them. And I think that's just a business decision. So I think when we're documenting principles, again, for me, it's like, what are the things that bother me that I never want to happen again? Okay, cool. Let's document what the opposite of that would be. That becomes a principle. And then what are the things that we believe are important for the type of business that we want to build? And, you know, we just start making a list of this stuff. And I think it's not something that gets done over a weekend. You know, it takes time to build this out. And I think you'll also run into situations where, it evolves, right? Like you, you may have updated your principles a year ago and now a couple of things have evolved in your business. And now, all right, there's one more thing that we have to add to that. So I think it's a, it's an ever evolving document, playbook, however you want to call it. Um, but those, that's, that's how I've approached creating those principles for our business. I'm wondering what you think about the approach of involving your team in creating these kinds of principles, right? So if, if I'm leading a marketing team within a company or if I'm responsible for, you know, an R&D team within a larger organization, I mean, I can think about the principles that I would say are really important. But I'm wondering if like what you think about the idea of inviting your colleagues to create principles either for their scope of work or to support like the team having principles. Yep. That's very, I mean, that's a very, very good question because we actually have, we actually have a principle around this, which is don't treat all opinions and ideas as equally valuable. And that's the reality, right? Like, I'll, I mean, if I'm being very blunt, so if, if we have someone on our team who's 20 years old and I've been in business longer than he's been alive, 
his ideas and opinions are less valuable on the scale of most likely having experienced all the stuff that I've experienced. Now, it doesn't mean that he can't have his input and he can't have a say in certain things, but when you've been in business or have run a business for longer than someone's been alive, there's a certain level of like, I've seen this before many, many times, whereas you haven't. And so for us, we invite very specific people to our strategic planning meetings. It's like, if you have nothing to contribute, do not come to the meeting because you're not just going to sit there and just, you know, be an observer. And there are certain people on our team where, you know, on our leadership team, yeah, for sure. Like you have full reign to build out principles in the specific area you're working in because they've been with our company for a long time. You know, they know us inside and out. They know our clients, they know our market, et cetera. So I think that at least for us, it's not even if someone's an expert in their area, like they really, really have to live and breathe your brands, like live and breathe your business. They have to know like, this is a fit. This is not, this makes sense. This doesn't, this is us. This isn't us. And I think, I just think that takes time. I think it takes time for, you know, the right people to, to go through their, their journey within the company. And you'll, I mean, as, as a manager, as a leader, you'll see who those people are fairly quickly. So I do think, you know, we do, we, we always encourage a very open culture. I think we've built a great culture where people feel safe. They can share their opinions. You know, they can speak up without, you know, reprimand, et cetera. But at the same time, we also, because of this, have also created a little bit of a, um, a filtering process. So if someone has an idea, they're like, hey, I think we should do this thing. It's like, great. Well, here's a bit of a a decision-making process for you to go through and then bring that to us based on, is this desirable? Is it feasible? Is it viable, et cetera? So that we're not just saying no or yes to someone, but we're having them think through a bit more of a systemized quantitative way of bringing ideas to the table and being able to say to them, hey, that's a great idea based on this decision-making process we use or not so much based on the fact that you just submitted this stuff with our quantitative objective decision-making criteria. So that helps to level the playing field a little bit. So if someone is 20 years old and they're younger than I've been in business, you know, in terms of time, they can still bring ideas to the table in terms of principles or other things, but at least there's an object objectivity as opposed to, Hey, I, I saw this guy doing this thing. I think it'd be good for us. It's like, well, all right, well, let's explore that a little bit further. So I don't know if that makes sense, but for us, not everyone has the same level of meritocracy, if you will, in terms of opinions and ideas. Where possible, we give people an objective criteria through which to make those decisions and uh, additions, if you will. And we just try to let, you know, objectiveness as opposed to, I like this person, uh, do more of the decision-making for us. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense in terms of decision-making and uh, I guess just, yeah, in general, like around decision-making and new ideas. And the the principal space, I hear you and I feel like when you're talking about running an entire business, that really deeply knowing the business, having lots of experience makes a lot of sense. And I'm imagining for a lot of the people listening, that's not their position, right? They're, they're running a small team or maybe they're running a department and there's... I think an, an alternative approach, which is to say everyone's the, the expert of their domain. And if I'm creating principles for my for the marketing department, our marketing team, and I have a colleague who is the 
person who's responsible for our email marketing, I can co-create with them what those principles would be for our email marketing, as opposed to only allowing the people at the top. But I think it's about scale, right? I think what I'm hearing you say is that there's it's about finding the right people for the right level of principle writing. So if you're writing for the whole company, it's a different thing than writing for a particular set of responsibilities in a job. Yeah. And again, I do think it comes down to the level of hires you're making, right? If you're bringing people in who, you know, they're, they're just kind of filling the time and doing the basic stuff. It doesn't make sense. If you have people that are true experts in their field, a plus players, and, you know, they've been in this, in the, in the role within the company, their business for a little bit, you know, they can start to add their own two cents to it. And I do think that in general, co-creation is always gonna be better. hundred percent. It's just, you know, it, you have to make sure you're co-creating with the right people, because I don't think there's anything more dangerous. I mean, there's a lot of dangerous things, obviously, but I think one of the, one dangerous thing is having too many cooks in the kitchen. And at some point there needs, even within a team, I mean, I see a team within a business as a business within a business, right? Like, you know, if you're the leader of a team or the manager of a number of people, you know, you can think of that as, as, as a small business within a larger business and approaching it in a similar vein, right? But again, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do things. I think that's why, like I say, business is philosophy, but to your point, hundred percent co-creation for the most part is usually going to be better. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time now. So can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person so fantastic? So my first job was selling appliances at Future Shop, which is kind of like, I think they were bought by Best Buy. And my manager was uh, not a good manager, but interestingly enough, my senior sales rep, so the sales rep that I kind of learned from, he was a much better quote unquote manager, even though he wasn't my manager. And I say that because he took the time with me every single day to teach me, to coach me, to give me feedback. Whereas my quote unquote real manager was just like, why didn't you hit your numbers? And I'm like, yeah, that's that for me, that wasn't a great manager. So in this case, it was, it was kind of like my colleague who was my senior, who I think demonstrated better management uh, characteristics. Well, how lucky that someone, you know, skip level above you took the time to, to support you in that way. That's really fantastic. Yeah. And where can people learn more about you, Yuri, and keep up with your work? The easiest place is Instagram, at healthpreneur. If you're on Instagram, hit me up. Just drop me a memo if you like. Also on YouTube, if you type in healthpreneur, I've got hundreds of videos on various topics related to business, mindset, success, sales, all that stuff. I just give away all my best stuff because I like to. So yeah, I'd say YouTube and Instagram, probably the two best places. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks so much, Mamie. This week, instead of a guest bonus, I am sharing the worksheet for Module 3, Lesson 4, Communication is Key, from my course on delegation, The Modern Manager's Guide to Effective Delegation. I am also providing a massive discount on the full course. You get it for 90% off. This worksheet and discount are available for members of The Modern Manager at the Sprout level and above. To become a member, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. 
That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.